Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. And we're looking at the history of the early church. And today we're going to be in chapter 1. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 through to verse 11. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said... You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. In this series, we are endeavoring to do at least a half a chapter a week. If we do, then we should be done in about 11 to 12 months, maybe by December, hopefully, (laughs) on paper. In practice, on the other hand, is that realistic? Well, maybe, maybe not, but if we don't approach the book of Acts in this manner, we will be here for a very long time. And if we continue to do what we did last week, which was how many verses? One and a bit. It would actually take us 598 years to get through the whole Bible, if we did one verse per week. To get through the book of Acts will take us 52 years. (laughs) Now, how did I work this out? How How many books are in the Bible? 66. How many chapters? For those clever clogs in the congregation. How many chapters are in the Bible? 
And if you know the answer to that one, then how many verses are in the Bible? Well, books, chapters, there it is, and verses. First of all, the Old Testament. There are 929 chapters in the Old Testament. How many verses? 23,145. In the New Testament, there are 260 chapters. It's about a third of the size of the Old Testament. And there are just under 8,000 verses, 7,958. In total, there are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. 31,103 verses. So, we must endeavor to make our way through these verses of these chapters of these books in the Bible because based on Matthew chapter 4 verse 4 let me ask you a question how important is food to your existence how important is food to your existence what would you say if I told you that there was something that was more vital than food food is important what would you say if I were to tell you that there was something more imperative, more essential, more vital than food containing the nutrients and the minerals that our bodies so desperately need? Matthew chapter 4 says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by some of the words that proceed from the mouth of God or a few of the words, or you can get by with 70% of the words of the Bible, the words that come from God. No, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Therefore, we need to make provision for exposing ourselves to the whole Bible. The apostle Paul called it the full counsel of God in Acts chapter 20. We have to eat the whole roll, as it were, Ezekiel chapter 3. And some of it will be bitter, and some of it will be sweet. Nonetheless, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, the original verse. So we cannot spend an inordinate amount, we cannot spend an unwarranted amount of time in this book <laughs> or any book at least whilst we are still in our infancy here as a local church in South London. Because we want to expose ourselves to the whole Bible. That's why Sunday mornings is great. But if you want to pack it in, you need Wednesday night where they're going through Deuteronomy. You need to be in the women's study where they're, I think they've taken a break or they're starting a new book. You guys started a new book? First John. So you're only getting a third, or I suppose unless you're a, well, you're getting half if you're only here on a Sunday, but God's word is vital. So I'm sure that there'll be weeks when um, we're going to pause in the text and maybe look at something particularly. 
Um, but that will be the exception to the rule. And as I ask you to turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 1, we read the verse that we looked at last week. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Now, verse 2, as part of the prologue or Paul's, in, sorry, Luke's introduction to this book, verse 2 is going to summarize all that we're going to consider today. Verse 2, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, we're going to come back to those he specifically chose when we look at verse 13 next week. Verse 3 says, to whom he also presented himself. How? Alive. After his suffering, by many infallible or convincing proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The Lord Jesus presented or exhibited himself as if to provide proof. And that over a 40-day period. So that there was no confusion as to his bodily resurrection. And also to over 500 witnesses we hear mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15. The resurrection. It was an argument of certainty and validity. And contrary to the facts, he wasn't dead. He had died, but now he was very much alive. And that's mind-blowing. The resurrection. How did that affect the disciples when they appreciated this Jesus who had died but yet was now alive forevermore. Alive, verse 3, after his suffering or his passion, more specifically, after his painful torture and ultimate death. Alive and focused now on things relating to the kingdom of God, the Lord Jesus seems to just pick up where he left off. Verse 4, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. See, this is where it's all going to start. Right here, there, in Jerusalem, and it was going to progress from that point to Judea, which was a surrounding district that Jerusalem was in, a bit like Dulwich is in London. Jerusalem was a city in this larger vicinity called Judea, and then they were going to spread north to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. And verse 4 says, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to do what? Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have, past tense, heard from me. Now when? When did they hear from him regarding the promise? Well, Luke chapter 24 verse 49 says, Jesus speaking, Behold, I send the promise of the Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power. Where from? From on high. 
Now listen to these terms. Endued with power from on high. Okay, well this is the promise. This power from on high. Now question, what is it? Or, more true to the point, who is it? Well, John 14, verse 16 says, And I will pray the Father, says Jesus, and he will give you another helper. That, look, not it, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, and will be in you. The promise of the Father is a person. It's a who and not a what. Now how about a good clear description of who now he is and what he will do. Turn with me to John chapter 15. You thought I was going to put it up on the screen, didn't it? Turn with me to John chapter 15 verse 26. can't do all the hard work. John chapter 15, verse 26. It says, but when the helper comes, who we've already defined, whom I shall send to you from the Father. See how many times he's mentioned this? In the past to them. Whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will testify of me. See, this is one of the things he's going to do. He is the spirit of truth. And he will testify about Jesus, which means to give a good, honest report and bear record of Jesus. How many of you know we need a clear description of who he is? Because even after we read all four of the Gospels, and we try our best to understand and appreciate, there's still so much more about him that we really don't understand. Okay, how about John chapter 14? Oops. Turn back one chapter, verse 26. But the helper, that's one of the things he's going to do, he's going to help. The Holy Spirit, that's the who, whom the Father will send, remember he's the promise of the Father, in my name, he will do what? He will teach you all things and bring things or bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Now that is a gigantic verse. He's going to teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Now I'd say that was a clear description of the promise. Verse 27 as you're still looking in John chapter 14, we will come back to, and um, I do try to make a habit of constantly scrutinizing the text as we go through it for emphasis. If you don't have a Bible, you don't know what verse 27 says. I encourage you to bring your Bible on Sunday morning and even to read ahead as we travel through the book of Acts. There's so much you miss if you're not actually looking 
at the scriptures. Fundamentally, this promise of the Father, it is the fulfillment of an ancient prophecy given by Joel. We will see this further developed when we get to chapter 2. The promise of the Father. The Lord Jesus then goes on to describe the experience of this promise. He goes on to describe the experience of this promise. Go back to Acts chapter 1. Now look at verse 5. Luke says, for John truly baptized with what? Water. But you shall be baptized with the promise, with the Holy Spirit, in similar fashion to the way John baptized with water, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. Now, verse 5 makes reference to Mark chapter 1, Verse 7, I hope I haven't lost you. Verse 5 that we just read makes reference to, it's up on the screen, Mark chapter 1, verse 7. And that says, and he, speaking of John the Baptist, preached saying, there comes one after me who is mightier than I. What? Heavier than you, John? Yeah. Trust me, you ain't seen nothing yet. And you know what? There comes one after me who's mightier than whose sandals I'm not even worthy to bend down and strap. What? Huh. And you know what? Let me tell you something else. Verse 8. I indeed baptize you with water, but you see when he comes, he's going to do something completely different. Something completely unique. Something completely radical and unconventional. He, that is Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Here we continue to see the beauty of the predictive and prophetic nature of the scriptures. But the Bible's full of prophecy. Oh my goodness. It doesn't just have to be in the book of Revelation to be eschatological. Right? That's a big theological word for end times. There's prophecy all over the Bible. Prediction after prediction being fulfilled with crystal pixel quality with striking definition and rich resolution. Now, when John declared that, that that would happen, no one clearly understood what it meant. Apart from Jesus. And prophecy can sometimes seem so obscure when pronounced. Yet when fulfilled, wow, it's it's wonderful to behold. Now, we can at this point note that here we see the beginnings of an unprecedented new ministry. How many of you know that? The beginning, the beginning of any endeavor is critical. It's quote-unquote foundational. How many of you know that the beginning of any marriage is fundamental? It's, it's foundational. The beginning of a business. If you don't start things right, oh my goodness. Especially when you've got them end of year returns and the, 
the, the paper starts piling up and you're not filing stuff. Oh my goodness. You better start off the way you mean to go on. Same in education. If you don't know your ABCs, how on earth are you going to go on to write dissertations and thesis? The foundation is fundamental. Also in construction, we see this clearly pointed out. The initial stages are fundamental and essential to the process. And with regard to this new work and the coming of the Spirit, there are clear examples of the work of the Spirit at primary and principal incidents throughout the scriptures. The first one's kind of easy. It's right in the first chapter in Genesis chapter 1 at the creation. What do we see? What do we see? Who do we see? Brooding over the waters. The spirit. At the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8, the glory of the Lord come down and filled the place to the point where the priest couldn't even stand up to minister. You want to talk about being slain in the spirit? Not by literal definition, but the definition that has been given recently. I mean, to be slain means to be killed. But if you want to talk about the Holy Spirit overcoming you to the point where you can't do nothing and you turn fool, 1 Kings chapter 8, and let's keep it Bible. You know what I mean? And there was no one pushing anyone over, and there was no one, I mean, if God pushed you over, you wouldn't need someone to catch you, right? I mean, God pushed two people over in the Bible, and they never got up. We're going to see them in Acts chapter 5. Right? Ananias and Sapphira. So at the dedication of the temple, we see, look, and it was the beginning of something new, the inauguration of the temple, coming down upon the priest. Now, how about at the birth of the Lord Jesus, when, when told that she would conceive and bear a son, Mary's response to the angel was, How can this be? Since I do not know a man. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. The beginning of the life of Christ. Well, how about then at the beginning of the ministry of the Lord Jesus? Remember at his baptism? Scripture says he was in the water. John looked and he saw the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure if the rest of the bystanders saw it. Now, have you ever asked your, yourself the question, why did Jesus have to be baptized? I always asked that question for years. Why did Jesus need to be baptized? I know why I need to be baptized. Because baptism is a picture of me being buried, that's the old man, and me coming up into newness of life. The old man remains in the water, as it were. Bury the old man. You have to reckon him dead. After your baptism, you can do that. Until you get baptized, it's hard to do that. Because the dead man's dead, but he ain't buried. What do you do with people who die? You bury them. So that's what happens at our baptism, right? So I understand why I need to be baptized. But why did Jesus need to be baptized? 
Well, if you never ask that question, John the Baptist did, or at least questioned his ability to baptize Jesus. Remember? Turn to Matthew chapter 3. John would be like, huh? Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 13. And Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, bruv. I'm with Robert. And you, you're coming to me. That don't sound right. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And John said, okay, and he allowed him. Verse 16, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open. This is a multidimensional hyperspace, hypers, hyperspace moment. This is when the multidimensional realm comes and collides into the three-dimensional realm and you begin to see things that the natural eye normally, under normal circumstances, can't see. Isn't it, Marky? And John's like, he beholds the heavens, heavens, that's the first heaven, that's the sky, right? Were opened. I mean, how do you open the sky? Well... Something happened that revealed something that I suspect was there but couldn't be seen. And the heavens were opened to him. That's why I suspect the rest never saw. To him. And he saw something. He saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. You see the same language? Coming down from above and upon. Descending. And it says like a dove in Luke's gospel, he says the Holy Spirit came down like a dove. It, it wasn't like a white dove kind of flitted down and alighted on Jesus' shoulder. You see in Jesus of Nazareth, the original Jesus of Nazareth with Robert um, Powell, with Robert Powell. <laughs> you see this white dove kind of flitted down and kind of land on his shoulder. No. In Luke, it says the Holy Spirit came down in bodily form. I said it before like predator. Some invisible, invisible, and came down upon Jesus. And I mean, you see this. He came down gently like a dove would, but it was the Holy Spirit bodily. Oh my goodness, he's a person. Amen. And he came down upon Jesus. This is so significantly similar to that which takes place in Acts chapter 2. We're going to get there. The Lord Jesus was empowered, nonetheless, by the Spirit to do all that he did. And we need to constantly depend on that power of the Spirit. Truly it is not by man's might, nor by people power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord, with regard to getting anything substantial done. Jesus said in John 15, without me, forget it. You can't do anything. See, one of the reasons why Jesus was baptized is because this act was vital to his mission. 
but also it was symbolic of that which was going to take place three years later when his spiritual body would then also be baptized by the Spirit in order to fulfill its mission. See, how important is the involvement of the Spirit? In the same way that the Lord Jesus needed to be empowered for his earthly ministry, so also would his body need that same power. I flip back to Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Therefore, keep your finger in Acts 1. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Wow, Lord, will you then at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? It was okay to ask, wasn't it? I mean, they had good reason to ask Jesus this question. The Lord Jesus, throughout his earthly ministry, consistently spoke about the kingdom. Twice in John, five times in Matthew, 15 times in Mark, and 32 times in Luke. The kingdom. Well, Jesus spoke so often about it, the disciples had expected it to happen within their lifetime. Verse 6, they say, Lord, will you when? At this time. <laughs> and you remember James and John wanting to sit at the right and the left-hand side of Jesus. They were like, yo, this kingdom, let's go. <laughs> let's do this. And we'll help you run it like you need our help. I mean, in Luke chapter 22, verse 28 through 30, Jesus said to them, in, if you like, encouraging them with regard to the kingdom, but you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom. Just as my father bestowed one upon me, and, and what, I mean, yo, if, if we get anything like you're going to get, it's got to be great. Verse 30, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I mean, yo, the disciples would be like, yo, where's my throne? Give me my crown. Pass me my scepter. <laughs> Does that sound familiar? That was 2,000 years ago. But there's nothing new under the sun. There's followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus that are, are saying the same thing. Yo, I'm a king's kid. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm blessed coming in and I'm blessed going out. Amen. And anyone who wants to argue with me, what? In this life, you hear them say, disciples today, to some degree, still don't understand. But you know what? That doesn't disqualify them from being disciples. Because we might be quick to say, that's not Bible. Therefore, furthermore, are you even a Christian? We have to be careful. Even though they'd had, even though we may have, or some may have a misunderstanding, it doesn't disqualify them because it didn't disqualify the 11. See? 
but they had misunderstood. Yes, they were going to rule and reign with Christ, but how many of you know there's no crown without a cross? See, and that's not just for the Lord Jesus. As Pastor Patrick reminded us a few weeks ago, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me, Jesus says. There's no, there's no crown without a cross. And herein do we find the need for the Lord to give them this important commission in verse 8. Now, we're not there yet. <sighs> Guys, you got it twisted. You have no idea that there is still so much yet to be done. See, they had no idea that there was still going to be at least <laughs> another 2,000 years. From a Jewish historical perspective, they were looking for a political, territorial, a national kingdom. Yeah, let's reestablish the monarchy. I mean, you're the son of David, right? We need a kingdom just like his. <clears throat> With you ruling and reigning, it wasn't even a bad idea. It was a good idea, but the timing, like we mentioned last week, the timing was wrong. Or their understanding of the kingdom was wrong. Now, they believed it before Jesus died. Hence James and John, right? Wanting to sit on the right and the left. They believed it before Jesus died. But then, their hopes were dashed, possibly at the crucifixion, right? Oh, no. But we thought that. But now, their hopes come alive again. Oh, we were so silly. Oh, my goodness. We missed it then. It, the kingdom wasn't going to come before you went to the cross. We remember you saying you were going to go to the cross. You are going to raise from the dead. <laughs> Boom. Now, you're alive. And you're in a different body. Huh. We obviously never understood then, but we understand now. I mean, you're resurrected now. It, it must be now. See, they said, now we get it. But no, they didn't. Even though Jesus had explained to them this long before his crucifixion. In Luke chapter 17, it says, now... When he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. See, Jesus had already corrected their misguided opinion earlier. But it was going to take the Holy Spirit later on to remind them of that which he did say in the past and teach them on that basis. He'd already told them, but they never got it. But now the Holy Spirit, he's going to be the one to 
And you know what? The Lord does exactly the same thing to us. We read something, we think, oh, I get it now. <laughs> no, you don't. I get it now, Lord. Robert, you know what? No, he doesn't get it. He thinks he's got it. We read something that he said and misunderstand it, then the Holy Spirit has to teach us. He has to teach us what he actually meant, taking the words of Jesus, bringing them back to our remembrance, and then instructing us with greater clarity. You see the kingdom of God? Let's pray for it. Matthew 6 says, pray our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. You see the kingdom of God? Let's do those things which contribute to its coming. Like we said last week, 1 Peter 3, hastening the coming of the Lord. We can do that. But let's not worry about when it's going to come. Because that is not for us to know. Even the Lord Jesus at a point, a certain point had to take this same approach, remember? When will be the end? They said to Jesus. And Jesus says, you know what? I don't know. Now, we read that and we think, that don't make sense. I thought Jesus was God. And that's one of them scriptures that stumble us and we kind of read over and think, let me not think about that too deeply because if I think about that too hard, it's going to stumble my faith. I heard someone say that it's those particular verses that seem to stumble you when you get the understanding actually reinforce your faith. You can trust in, <laughs> in the chronicle. You can trust in the manuscript. When will it come? Jesus says, I don't know. Only the Father knows. And maybe a, an explanation for that is what they call the kenosis. In Philippians chapter 2, you see it described Jesus, if you like, pouring out himself, that is his godness. And he becomes a man. And he, be, he now becomes limited apart from the power of the Holy Spirit and his dependence on the Father in his communication through prayer. It's as if, you, you see Men in Black, the first one, or, and the second one. Is there a third one? And what they do is, they, they do this crazy stuff and you see these animals and these creatures and blah, eyes coming out and these people are like, oh, they can't be, what, aliens are real? And then these guys come along in black looking real suave. Dum, 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 dum. Here come the man him. And they cut and they pull out this metal thing, right? And he's like, all right, shall we? Do? Yeah, let's do this. And they press the button, and, and Will Smith calls it the flashy thing. And he presses it, and this red beam goes out, and the people are ding. And they forget everything that they saw. I suspect that's a little bit of like what happened to Jesus when he came to earth. All the stuff things spinning planets into existence and all, all the great things that he did and could and understood. He was neuralizer, that's what they call it. He, they took the, the father took out the neuralizer, neuralized him. So he, he didn't have all of the information now. Hope that's not heresy. I'm, just, I'm confused. <laughs> I'm convinced it's not. <laughs> he said, I don't. How many of you know Jesus ain't a liar? All right, then. He said, I don't know. <laughs> Acts chapter 1, verse 7. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons. 
At a certain time, it weren't right for me to know. Now, he probably does know now. But he says, you know what? It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Albert Barnes says about this verse, it's under his control and authority. That is, he has fixed them by his own authority. He will bring them about in his own time and way. And therefore, it is not proper for men anxiously to inquire into them. In other words, when it comes to the coming of the kingdom, mind your own business. So, so much I want to say about that. You guys remember Barry Smith? Oh my goodness, Barry Smith was such a good teacher. Amazing. Oh my goodness. I used to love watch Barry Smith. I had all his DVDs. Uh, videos. <laughs> no DVDs back in them days. All his videos, man. And, and then Barry, he went on and made this crazy prediction about the millennium bug thing, right? And he should have just come out and said, you know what? I, 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 I dropped the ball. I done what I keep telling everybody not to do which is set dates. And he, did, and he should have just come and said, I missed it. Everyone would have been, it's no problem, Barry. It's all right. You're, 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 you know what I'm saying? You're a teacher. You're a minister of the gospel, but you're fallible. You made a mistake. It's all good. Hey, let's just keep it Bible, innit? Let's just remember that we cannot predict those days. But I think he should have just come out and said that. I don't remember him saying it. Maybe he did, but I, don't, I never heard. It just, he just kind of went, he just disappeared off the face of the map after that. And then a little later on, he died, right? good man i know he's with the lord now but um and he knows better right than to predict it. the lord told him the holy spirit's there say look i can teach you now what i what i meant by that not only <laughs> you went through the experience of it it's all and it's all good but let's remember when it comes to the day and the time we we get a semblance of an understanding of the times and the seasons i mean come on now homosexuality rife come on now the mark of the beast, you without Revelation 13, without this, you cannot buy it and sell. The mark that's in your right hand or in your forehead. I mean, 50, 60 years ago, 100 years ago, conservative commentators read that and thought, what on earth does that mean? We don't look at that now and think, what on earth does that mean? That, that makes complete sense to us now. You know I'm saying, with the advent of Israel being restored as a nation... And now going through the dra mad drama, I mean, the guys have been praying about Israel, right? Because we've got to pray for the peace of Israel. I mean, like, there's a lot of things going on that helps us to know the, 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 the epoch, you know what I'm saying? That we know that it's, it's close, but don't try and determine. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, there's no need for me to write to you about the times and the seasons. One, because it's not your, your business, but two, because it's going to become apparent but let's not pin it down to the day or an hour, right? It's not right to do that. It's not safe to do that. Barry Smith, when it comes to the, the timing of the kingdom, is it going to be set up now? Mind your own business. Get on with what I told you to get on with. South London, with regard to the day and the time, mind your own business. And it's not being rude. So don't be offended. How can you use that kind of language up in a pulpit? Don't be offended because he has got business that he wants you to mind. The business he wants you, the business he wants me to mind, the business he wants the apostles to mind or have their minds on is the second part of verse 8. 
but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me. Remember, we're not going anywhere yet. We still got another 2,000. Oh, I can't tell you that. You can't tell the disciples that, right? You shall be witnesses. This is what you need to concentrate on. You need to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. And then it doesn't stop there. Then the the time is going to pass. And then you're going to have to move out and go further into Samaria. And then then eventually to the uttermost parts of the world. That's the agenda. This, that is not your business. This is your business. Luke chapter 24 Verse 26, verse 46, excuse me, Luke 24, 46. Then he said to them, it's up on the screen. He said to them, (coughs) thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. He told them this already. Repentance and remission of sins needs to be preached to all nations, not just to you lot. I mean, there's only 11 of you for crying out loud. It's got to be preached to the whole. Beginning in beginning. That seems to indicate that there's going to be a time that's got a... It it starts here, but then it's going to progress. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my father. How? Upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. You hear the scriptures are so consistent. They're like a jigsaw puzzle, but you need to put them together by by the spirit. Literally, verse 8 should be translated... And it's not that I put it together. Thank the Lord, I just got good. I got exposure to good commentaries and good Bible study aids. How are you going to figure out that there's thirty-one thousand or whatever it is verses in the Bible? Literally, verse eight should be translated: "You shall receive the power of the Holy Ghost coming upon you." This was said to them to console them, though. <clears throat> They could not know the times which God reserved in his own appointment, yet they should receive the promised guide and comforter. The word power here refers to all the help or aid which the Holy Spirit would grant. I I recommend you listen to the series on spirituality just recently completed by Pastor Ephraim. You can pick it up um, from the book table or you can order it, excuse me. Um, And it will give a detailed outline of much of that which is provided by the gifts of the Spirit. It should be up online hopefully soon and available via podcast within the next few weeks. So, the thing that you need to put your mind on, you're going to need power to perform. The thing that you need to put your mind on, you're going to need power to perform. So before I tell you what it is, I will comfort you with the power that you need to perform it. Before I tell you what it is, thank you, I will, I got one already. <laughs> this one's got, this one's got um, cordial in it. Before I tell you what it is, 
I will comfort you with the power you need to perform it. So here we have the disciples receiving their commission. Again, here we have the book of Acts distilled down to one verse. Here's a slide of a timeline of some of the things that are going on at this particular time. See, the crucifixion takes place. Time goes by. 40 days actually goes by. At which point the ascension takes place that we're going to mention in a minute. And then 10 days later, we see the promised Holy Spirit come upon the disciples. The next three verses will describe what is commonly known as the ascension. Verse 9. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly, I mean, I would do too, right? We all would. While they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, it's amazing. Behold, Something startling. I mean, if that ain't scary enough and startling enough. Now, all of a sudden, two men stood by them in white apparel. Oh, I mean, where did they come from? <laughs> that's me. It's, that's not in the text, right? Two men stood by them in white apparel who also said, men of Galilee. Men of Galilee. I don't know how they said it. Why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you, I could never do one of them radio voices. I've got too much of a lisp and the South London part keeps coming out or the Jamaica part keeps coming out of me. This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. I mentioned this last week. But what I didn't do was clearly and distinctly quote 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 which describes the antithesis of the ascension so the opposite of what you see happen in the ascension we're going to see happen when the Lord Jesus returns to rapture us to take us away to cap 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 16 through 18 says for the Lord personally is coming to get us he, I can he, that makes me excited. I feel like, wow, he doesn't send an entourage. I mean, he could have sent angels. And that would have been amazing. Oh, wow, look. But he comes personally. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. And with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ. That's those who are saints and died Their bodies will be resurrected and united with their spirits because their spirits are already with the Lord, right? The dead in Christ will rise first. I don't know. We're going to see that? Whoa. See, just bodies flying out of the graves. Wow. Then we, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the same clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord How many of you know that's comforting? Verse 18, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Where are you at? As we conclude, where are you at? Are you expecting something? Are you expecting something 
and not seeing it materialize. Well, I thought that, man, when I become a Christian, everything was going to be. I was talking to someone last night on the phone for like an hour and a half. He said, man, I become a Christian and I thought that it was, everything was going to be all right. I mean, that's what you hear in all the songs, right? Everything's going to be, uh, you know what I mean? It's like things were, my life just, my life fell apart when I became a Christian. I heard Ray Comfort, you heard me say it before. Ray Comfort says, <laughs> he got saved. Up until that point, he thought everything was just, there was no hope. And then he got saved. And then he said, it was amazing because he, he looked down the end of a tunnel, like we say, and he could see light. There was a light at the end of the tunnel. But then he said, as he looked more carefully, he saw that it was a freight train coming straight for him. <laughs> Welcome to the Christian life. Read the parable of the sower. Persecution, tribulation. <laughs> Described by the sunlight. And if you ain't got no roots, you end up getting scorched. Read the parable of the song. Matthew chapter 13, Luke chapter 8. Where are you at? Are you expecting something and not seeing it materialize? A wife? A husband? I'm just trying to be real. A job? A move? This is a big one. A healing? Are you expecting something and not seeing it materialize? Can I encourage you? Maybe we fall into the same category as the disciples and we don't fully understand. Like Elizabeth and Zachariah who wanted a son so badly. And the Bible says they were righteous and upright. Lord, why? And the Lord's there again, so bursting, wanting to tell them, I'm going to give you a child. I'm going to give you a son, but he can't come yet. What's his name? Only John the Baptist, who has to come at a certain point because he has to prepare the way for the Lord. Sometimes we don't get what we want when we want it. But it's not unusual. We're children, right? <laughs> Kids are like that. <laughs> Can I encourage you? In the face of not getting maybe what you want, maybe the Lord is preparing that which you need. Can I encourage you to primarily, as much as that stuff is important, mind your own business. Not that that isn't, but primarily, you need to give your focus to something else. And like the disciples, give yourself to the commission. Seek first, what? The kingdom of God. As Jesus described it. Not as you wistfully suppose it. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, Wow, your word is amazing. Your word is amazing, Lord. It's amazing, it's amazing. It's just there and we can leave it sitting on the shelf. And it's like Jumanji. Really, we need to just 
pull it down out of the loft, blow the dust off it and open it. And when we do, oh, it comes alive. Our lives are affected dramatically, Lord, by your word. And I thank you that we have it. And even though we don't understand it, you've sent us the promise of your spirit who will help to explain it to us, who will teach us. He will help us. He will come alongside us. Furthermore, he will come upon us and he will even be in us. He is in us if we put our faith and our trust in Christ Jesus because if any man has not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So Father, we thank you that even as much as like the disciples, we don't fully understand, you're going to help us. And the sooner, Lord, the better. And until we clearly fully understand it all, help us to give ourselves to that which is our business, which is the Great Commission, which is to be witnesses. Witnesses who testify about what they've seen, what they've heard, and what they know. Please help us, I pray, Father, to this end, by your promised Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Could I ask you to stand with me, please? So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Amen. May the Lord bless you. We were up in the rain, I've got a lot to learn.